0: Welcome to the February edition of the Witch with Books podcast. Today, will we be ch- we will be chatting about a bunch of new releases, tarot decks, and books, and shining a bright light on a few of our favorite titles from the last month. I'm Meg Rosenbrier.
1: and I'm Jason Mankey. In addition to all the great stuff Meg just mentioned, we will also be talking about love books because it's Valentine's Day month, and a couple of titles by a cult pioneer on fortune before we dive into this month's titles i wanted to open with a question we both get asked from time to time what kind of books do you like to read so meg what are the favorite witchy things that you read for fun
0: so i'm i've always been a big historical fiction and biography person um books, movies, all of that. People are fascinating and made up people interacting with once alive documented people are too. Um, And there's, there's just a real magic for me at the intersection of history and what could have been, Uh, especially if you, you know, subscribe to Zinn's approach to history, which I wholeheartedly do. Um, And this definitely spills over to which books for me. So I like books that are personal. Um, I like hearing about specific traditions people have assumed or created. And how they live their lives in the day to day. And I, you know, I most recently read A Witch at Forest Edge by Christine Grace about her Forest, forest Edge <clears throat> tradition. And I really enjoyed, you know, that peek at her practice. So I find people, um, you know, who do this in their books are usually really good teachers too. So that's just added, you know, frosting on the cake.
1: Bonus. I like academic stuff. So it makes me kind of a weird outlier. Like my favorite witchcraft author of all time is Ronald Hutton, who wrote <laughs> Triumph of the Moon and *Station*. of the Is that why Sun.
0: next month you decided we're doing history of witchcraft books?
1: <laughs> I couldn't think of <laughs> anything else. <laughs> yeah. Before we hit traditional witchcraft and Wicca, I thought maybe history kind of nice. setting the table. But I love that kind of stuff because I think that our society doesn't talk enough about magic And people have been doing magic for thousands of years, but more specifically, they've been doing it in the 19th century, early 20th century, and often that's glossed over, right? People don't ever talk about how people were doing spells in 1920. Oh, it's science, so we don't do spells anymore. So I love academic books that talk about stuff like that. And I love things that share someone's modern experiences like you is I I think there's too much focus on books from the 70s and 80s. So I love reading new things and seeing how witchcraft has changed over the last few decades. So, Not talking about history right now is our game of yay or nay, all about new releases. We're going to run down some books that have just come out or are going to be out soon and tell you whether or not we are going to read them. So, our first book in Yay or Nay is Do Your Love by Star Cassis. All right, here's the description spells and rituals for conjuring romantic love, self love, close the door, I think, when you do that, and healthy relationships from Conjure Queen Mama Star Cassis herself. Ooh. Although love magic is among Star's specialities, she has never written about it extensively before and who do your love star shares her professional knowledge and also reveals her never before published family secrets to help readers obtain the love they seek all right who do your love are you feeling the love meg
0: i am feeling the love you know it's funny when i when i received this book in the mail it had such great energy to it so that's that's just one thing i'm going to say right off the top um but you know i don't know enough about hoodoo so here we go. This book's on my doorstep. Diving in.
1: I liked her earlier book, just about hoodoo. I'm in a pretty happy relationship and I mostly like myself. So I'm probably not going to read this one. Though it might be nice to have as a resource or something if somebody asked me to come up with a spell about love or, you know, finding someone. So I'm kind of maybe, but more nay.
0: Fair enough. All right. Next up, we have Witch Queens, Voodoo Spirits, and Hoodoo Saints: A Guide to Magical New Orleans by Denise Alvarado. All right, and here's the description: A magical mystery tour of the extraordinary historical characters that have defined the unique spiritual landscape of the of New Orleans. New Orleans has long been America's most magical city, inhabited by a fascinating visible and invisible world full of mysteries, known for its decadence and haunted spirits. If Salem, Massachusetts is famous for its persecution of witches, New Orleans is celebrated for its embrace of the magical, mystical, and paranormal. In her new book, author and scholar Denise Alvarado takes us on a magical tour of New Orleans. There. Is a mysterious spiritual underbelly hiding in plain sight in New Orleans. And in this book, Alvarado shows us where it is and who the characters are. She tells us where they come from and how they persist and manifest today. How about you, Jason? Are you going to take this book up?
1: Hell yes. I loved her Marie Laveau book. I love New Orleans. I'm totally down with this book. I'm sad that it's not already in my hands.
0: Same, big same. I'm not even kidding. I casually started looking up plane flights to New Orleans after I read the description of this book. Um, It is such a magical city. So big yes. I
1: try to go every year. However, obviously COVID has ruined that, but I love New Orleans. There's something magical in its bones that just doesn't exist anywhere else in the United States. The fact that you can like walk down Bourbon Street and then you get to the corner by Anne and you're like, oh, Marie Laveau lived here. This is amazing. Yeah. It's
0: it's unbelievable. From the food to the people, the music. But and, and now we have a book that's going to show us the uh, the magical side of it. Let's do it.
1: Yeah. All right. Our next book is Espiritismo" by Hector Salva one of the first books to explore this influential spiritual and magical tradition, covering its philosophy while also providing a practical hands-on guide. Esperitismo is the Spanish word for spiritism, or better yet, spiritualism, (coughs) spiritual traditions that emerged in great popularity in the U.S. following the Civil War. In the U.S. and Canada, spiritualism's primary focus was on communication between the living and the dead, a spiritual tradition traveled around the world, especially in Latin America, where it evolved in different ways. So this is the Puerto Rican take on spiritualism. And I'm super excited because I love spiritualism. It's this huge occult practice that was once practiced by 20% of people in the United States. And now I get to read a little bit about a smaller corner of the United States that I'm not as familiar with. So big, big yes. I'm really excited about this book.
0: When you said that 20% figure, mm-hmm. what era were you speaking of turn of the century?
1: Uh, like right after Civil War. Probably a yeah. little bit before then. So 18, so interesting, 50,
0: especially because my answer on this was going to be, no, I think I jokingly said to you, I'm not going to read this book because I have enough to deal with, with the living. I don't have enough of an interest in, in, in necromancy to, to get into it right now. Um, but I, th- but you know, you might, you make the point about the history and, um, you know, you're swaying me. I'll think about it.
1: It's this really overlooked little corner of American history. And it also was big in Europe, too, but it started here in the United States.
0: All the photographs of uh, dead people.
1: There was part of that, but, you know, spirit mediumship, which was started by Kate and Maggie Fox and more specifically their daughter, their sister, Leah Fox who was a trans medium, I think that probably influenced things like drawing down the moon. It mm. was also really empowering for women, because at that period of time, you could do two things if you wanted to work. You could be a teacher or a medium, so, <laughs> which is really you know different. So I, I hope you read it, and then we talk about it on the show.
0: All right. All right, next up. The Thrifty Witches Book of Simple Spells, Potions, Charms, and Incantations for the Modern Rich by Wren Maple out by Fairwinds Press. So this is a press that's well known for working with relatable social media witches. And um, Ren Maple is known as the Thrifty Witch. Her content is great on Instagram. I follow her. I love it. It's all, you know, that small bite, really smart content. Um The description is from Ren Maple, the thrifty witch comes an introduction to witchcraft with a variety of spells, tips, and tricks to get the most out of your practice. There's nothing wrong with simple and straightforward. Easy spells are not less worthy spells. These ideas are central to the practice of the thrifty witch. Sick of not being able to easily source or afford what she needs for spells. Ren Maple dedicated herself to collecting and optimizing spells that could work for all witches, no matter where they were on their journey and no matter their personal resources. you know, yes, yes, yes. I love this topic. I love giving people accessible ways to practice witchcraft. So I'm excited to see the spells she suggests. And I'm excited to see, um, you know, the kind of materials sh- she suggests to gather um, when you're on a budget. How about you, Jason? There's so you, many. You're a thrifty witch books. follower?
1: I I am thrifty. I do think that magic should not be difficult to do. It shouldn't require expensive ingredients. You should do what works. But I'm not a spell book guy. You know, like huge encyclopedias of spells. I think spells work better when you create them your own. You know, on your own. However, you can use books as a launching point. But I live in California. Our house is small. There's only so much room. So, probably no. But it's not an indictment of the author or anything. Certainly, I'm down with the ideas. Yeah. Now, the next author on our list I love, and that's Nicholas Pearson, and his newest book is Flower Essences from the Witch's Garden, Plant Spirits in Magical Urbanism. In this practical guide to using flower essences in witchcraft, alchemy, and healing, Nicholas Pearson provides... Detailed instructions for making and using flower essences based on traditional Western magic practices. What I love about Nicholas's books, they're really well researched, but they're also beautiful with lots of full color pictures. Actually, not just lots, everything is a full color picture so you can see exactly what it is that he's talking about. Just terrific. These are my go to books for stones, crystals, and now I assume this will be for flowers. So yay. 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 Yay.
0: Yeah. Same for me. You know, I, I love Jason, I think you're the one who really turned me on to Nicholas's work. Um, yes. but I really love what a master of his craft he is. You know, there are certain people in our community who just own their niche. And I think Nicholas does it better than anybody. I think he's great. And um, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing the direction he's going in with this book and seeing what he has to say. Excellent. All right. So moving on to our next category, we're not talking about new releases. Now we're talking about oldies, but goodies. And in honor of Pisces season, we're going to discuss two rather ethereal, 12-housious titles uh, by the same author, Dion Fortune. Dion was born in 1890, and she died in 1946. So this is an oldie. She was the founder of the Fraternity of Inner Light, now known as the Society of Inner Light. And before founding the Society of Inner Light, she was initiated into the London Temple of the Alpha and Omega, an offshoot of the Golden Dawn. She is and was a big deal in the occult world, Period. And she did it as a woman, which is indicative of her her tenacity. Uh, She's a Sagittarius, Sun, Mercury, and Venus. Um, And my pick of her books is Psychic Self Defense. For me, this book shines her north node in Gemini in the ninth. I love it. Her ability to systemize, but also humanize psychic attacks is a winning combination that reverberates today. Um, You know, the book is not without its deep problems. They're clearly racist parts. We have to remember the time and culture this book was written under. But in fact, she was writing this at a time of a new field that was emerging in the field of psychology. So for me, almost, you know, this book was published in 1930. So we're almost a hundred years later, we can appreciate her choice to involve the budding field of psychology um, in the work. And in general, it's a great, it's a great, a manifesto for psychic self-defense it's practical it's deep it's structured in a way that covers anticipated objections which i find very satisfactory um so i highly recommend it is an eye-opening experience to a deep dive on the different psychic forces that are out there and how they can affect us um but jason you went in a different direction you chose a different book by dion tell us about her work the sea priestess
1: I think the sea priestess is her most important work, especially for witches. It's not a book without flaws. Like you mentioned, some of Fortune's writing is racist. It's a little ableist in places. Yeah. That's, uh, wow. That's underputting it. But- in this book, she writes about an operation where basically she draws down Isis, the fictional character in the book named LeFay Morgan, which just is ridiculous. <laughs> and most of the book is about the build up to that, and it's boring. And you'll roll your eyes a lot, and you'll probably fall asleep while reading it, but then all of a sudden, boom, you get to the ritual, and the writing is so vivid, and it draws you in, and you feel like you're walking in the sea while Le Morgan is drawing down Isis, and there's this strange metallic voice echoing in the void, talking about how all goddesses are one goddess, and it's like, woo, Yeah, and then the book peters out after that, but there's this... 30 pages. It's really amazing. And for a long time, when people were trying to do witch ritual before there were 101 books, they would do things from the Sea Priestess because it really spelled out a ritual. In Janet and Stuart Farrar's The Witch's Bible, there's a ritual based on the Sea Priestess. In that, I've done Dion Fortune rituals based on the Sea Priestess at festivals. It's really, really powerful. It's really problematic. She was obsessed with male-female binary crap that we're so trying to get over in the witchcraft world right now. So you have to read it knowing that you might get mad at certain points. But the beauty of the ritual really speaks and this had a huge impact on witchcraft. I'm sure Gerald Gardner and Doreen Valiente and all of the 50s and 60s pioneers read this and were influenced by it. So, yeah, read it and you know, drink lots of Red Bull while you do, and then you'll get to the good part and it'll be fine. <laughs> so, yeah, so little Dion Fortune, we're going to talk about our favorite tarot books, which is kind of one of the big themes in this month's episode. So what's your first recommended tarot book, Meg?
0: So I, I mean, I'm a kind of a tarot book junkie. I love tarot books. So this was hard for me to pick, pick a couple um, that I liked, but one of my all-time favorites is Kitchen Table Tarot by Melissa Sinova, It came out in 2017 Um, So it's not new, new, but it's not old either. And it's probably my favorite conversational tarot book um, you know it, it even the name alone engenders conversational tarot right kitchen table tarot it's so accessible it's funny it's relatable um, and in in this trope keeps the information about you know here's a story about the the five of cups and it's funny and I'm gonna keep it in my mind um, and now I'm gonna remember what the five of cups means and um, it actually won an Ippy award for best first book which I didn't know I was looking at that I was like wow that's that's deserving um, and so, yeah, definitely pull up a chair for more of what uh, Sonova is serving in Kitchen Table Tarot.
1: It sounds good. One of the things about my journey into tarot books was I was heavily influenced by Raymond Buckland's Big Blue Book, where he says, read one tarot book, set it down, and never read another one. <laughs> Because you rely too much on other people's interpretations of the cards. I haven't held to that completely, but it's something always in the back of my mind. However, sometimes books are so practical that you have to read them. And my favorite practical book of the last 10 years is Tarot for One, By Courtney Weber, because how often do we read tarot for ourselves? But every book is geared towards reading tarot for somebody else. So Courtney takes you through how you can do it in a better way if you're doing personal readings.
0: All right. So my next pick is Madame Pamita's Magical Tarot, not to be confused with another book of the same name. The one you want is Madame Pamita's book. Um, It is it shows us how to use tarot to make our dreams come true by creating the future we want to see. Okay. So it's a law of attraction meets tarot card meanings on an esoteric journey towards spiritual wholeness. Um, and I love how the book is broken down. Every card comes with in the book, you know, its own section. It has a list of symbols written out to look at for each card. It has very specific bulleted points of the wisdom to be gleaned in each card, meaning it's very skimmable as well. You can, as a reference book, you can pick out major points easily in the book. Um, and then of course there's journal prompts and affirmations. So that's always fun too. And, um, Madam Pamita is, I'm just a fan of her work in general and her, her tarot book. Um, I think is, you know, everyone loves her candle magic book. I think her magical tarot book is just as good, if not better.
1: Everything she does is fabulous, and I don't own this. I've seen it many times, and I should pick it up just because I'm a fan of her work. So I picked weird books after Courtney's book and I'm just going to run them all together because they're kind of similar because they're not books about how to do tarot they're books sort of about the history of tarot. The first one I want to talk about is the Tashin Tarot book which is a giant coffee table book and it has some practical advice in it but you really want to get it to look at the 2,000 different decks that are in its pages. Just beautiful artwork. Oh over and over again, the editor Jessica Hundley did a great job. The most influential tarot deck of the last 120 years is the Rider Waite Smith tarot deck, and a lot of people just know it as Rider Waite, but the uh, artist was Pamela Coleman Smith. And a few years ago, US Games released this beautiful book called. Pamela Coleman-Smith, The Untold Story, with pictures, a biographical sketch of her life, a talk about how influential her work has been on tarot and occult communities. Mary Greer has a bit in it. It's a really terrific book. I can't believe it's been done so well because I'm really skeptical of U.S. games in a lot of ways. But wow, this book is amazing. I,
0: I have a U.S. games story to tell in a minute.
1: Yeah. I think that they all of a sudden decided to start playing up Pamela Coleman Smith's involvement in what in the Rider-Waite-Smith Tarot to extend the copyright on that particular mm. tarot deck because copyright ends when someone dies. And she was the last of Well, the, I'll tell you what. Yeah.
0: U.S. Games- is based in Stanford, Connecticut. I don't know if you knew that. And I used to work in Stanford for a number of years. And I had no idea that they were located there. And I was like, oh, gee, I wonder. I got to look up what street they were located on. They're (laughs) they're located next to the dive bar I used to go to to drink all my sorrows away of my corporate life before I quit to become a witch. So there had to be some synchronicity there Uh, of the energy draw, but I, I don't know what it is. Well, maybe we'll find out one day.
1: You know, I can be critical of them, but I do like that they're giving Pamela Coleman Smith her due because her genius in those cards has influenced every tarot deck that has come after. My last book is also about As Dry as Toast. It's a history of the occult tarot by Ronald Decker and Michael Dumet. It, it is boring unless you're really into history, but one of the most fascinating thing about tarot is how it was became really popular in the 50s and 60s, and a lot of it comes from the New Age community, not from where I would have thought. Uh, so really fascinating. If you're into tarot, it's worth reading about how tarot became the dominant form of divination over the last 70 years.
0: And my last pick is Everyday Tarot, and this is by Bridget Esselmont, and you guys know her as Biddy Tarot. So if you've ever Googled what does the Three of you know Swords mean, well, chances are Biddy Tarot was a search return that came up. So she's she's created this Tarot empire, um, and I love her. I love the brand. I love the way she does business. Her focus is on changing the face of tarot. in, in, In you know, it's not evil it's a personal development tool. It's a tool for intuition. It's a magical tool. Um, And she's done this so well over the past 15 years. She's really done a lot for the face of tarot. And she's included community as she does it. So you know this is right up my alley. She has so many programs on her website where she let she gets, you know, new readers to read for free for other people to hone their skills. It's just great. And so you can tell again, this is somebody who really loves the subject they're working with and is hands-on with it day in and day out. Um, and I had the opportunity to actually speak with her last year. We partnered with Biddy Tarot for our divination month. Um, And while she's not specifically a witch, she mentioned she's not, specifically takes up the mantle of the witch, but she identifies as a magical being. And I think that shines through in her book. I recommend it for people um, who may be more witch curious. Maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're not really sure if you're jumping into the witch world in particular, this may be a great um, entree book to magic and the craft for you. And it's supported by her um, bitty Tarot community.
1: We had some community picks for favorite tarot Yeah. Books. So, yes. okay.
0: So this is what's something I was really excited about. When I sent out our email um, to our email list about the last podcast, I said, hey, we're going to be talking about tarot books in February. Does anyone have some recs? And a bunch of you came back with stuff. So I'm really excited to to uh, be able to read your feedback on air. I picked three of your responses, and I'll I'll read them here for you. So first up is Susan Perkins writes, I absolutely love Holistic Tarot by Benable Wen. It covers so many perspectives, including Eastern thought, and I use it every day as a reference book. Uh, Nisha Watson writes, Anything by Mary K. Greer, especially Tarot for Yourself. This is a book that made tarot relatable as a daily mental health and self-empowerment tool. I recommend it to everyone. Um, And then thirdly, Andy Christance writes, Queering the Tarot by Cassandra Snow. This book made me feel seen and inspired me with its calls to action. I even had the metaphysical store I work at carry it. I love that.
1: That's Awesome. So we're going to quickly talk about some of our favorite tarot decks, too. The first one I'm going to talk about just came out a couple of months ago, and it is really different from anything I've ever used before. And that's the American Renaissance Tarot by Thea Wershing, illustrated by Celeste Pillet. And what I like about this book, Particular tarot deck. It's a history excursion through 19th century magical practice. Some of the figures are familiar, like Kate and Maggie Fox are there. That's probably why I like it. Pascal Beverly Randolph's there, but there are also people from kind of like the environmentalist movement and people you wouldn't expect. The first card in the deck, and I knew I was in love with this deck when I saw it, was Joseph Smith. As the, the fool. fool is Joseph Smith. Yes. Yeah. The founder I was thinking, like, of King Mormon of Pentacles. Church. That's
0: great. That's yeah. great.
1: So I love this. I love his tarot. Now it's pretty hard to read because I didn't even recognize everybody in the tarot. So you really need the book.
0: All right. So my pick for my favorite tarot deck, um, and I'm actually going to post a pick a card on Witch With Me for this. So you might want to head over there and look um, a Jane Austen tarot deck by Jackie Oakley. It's out through Clarkson Potter. If you guys have a chance to look at Clarkson Potter products, they're delightful. They're so well put together. They're so well crafted. Other ones that you might know of are Tarot by Divine of the Divine by Yoshi Yoshitani and The Literary Witches Oracle by Tasia Kitaskia. Might have gotten that right, probably not. Apologies, Tasia. Um but the Jane Austen tarot is just delightful. I'm a huge Jane Austen enthusiast, and it's a mix of you know themes from the time period, hats they would have used on certain cards, you new know, jewelry that they would have worn in the time period, uh, mixed with, of course, characters. You know, you have Elizabeth Bennet as the Queen of Hearts, that kind of thing. Mister. Um, uh, Knightley, I think is the Jack of hearts. It's just, it's just this great, like old home feeling for anybody who is a, a fan of Jane Austen to really connect with the cards in a unique way. Um, and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful deck.
1: I chose another weird deck. And so a couple of months ago, our coven was meeting and we do tarot readings for the coven. And we put down a deck of cards on the pentacle and everybody picks one. And we picked the chrysalis tarot. Instead of cups and staves and swords and things that you're used to for the minor arcana, it has scrolls, mirror stones, and spirals. Some of those are obvious stones, right? But We read them and had no idea what any of it meant and thought it was the most cool thing ever because I like tarot decks that challenge me. So the Chrysalis Tarot is by Tony Brooks, illustrated by Holly Sierra, and it's really different. The goddess Ariadne is on the death card, and I think that's amazing and awesome. So if you're looking for something different, I recommend the Chrysalis Tarot.
0: All right, and then I'll choose for my Oracle deck. I love Moonology by Yasmin Boland. And this is a great deck to get if you're looking for a first deck. It's an Oracle deck, so it's not a tarot deck. It's each card has its, you know, uh has its own meaning, according to the illustrator and the author of the deck. And what is great about moonology is that it's so simple, yet it holds so much information. Each card is a phase of the moon. So there's waning moon waxing moon, there's Leo full moon, there's Virgo new moon, and there's blue moons. There's every type of moon we talk about in witchcraft contained in these oracle cards. So for the beginner, not only are you getting these really cool, simple messages like, hey, full moon in Aries, start that project, go do it. Um, You also get to start to understand what the phases of the moon mean and how they relate to your magic. So you get this great double whammy for especially for the beginner. Um, and for the the more practiced practitioner, you know, it adds layers of meaning when you've already understanding phases and and zodiac signs and that type of stuff. So it's a great deck and I recommend it.
1: So if we're doing Oracle decks, I'm just gonna go with the Liminal Spirits Oracle deck by Loris Tempest Zakrov. <laughs> <laughs> just because Tempest is amazing and her art is all over our house.
0: And she has another Oracle deck coming out in August. So I know. She very excited for to that. take
1: my money. But yep. what I love about Laura's work is you can look at it and go, well, yeah, this meaning's obvious, but there's always little deeper things in there like a little spiral you didn't see the first time and she's just so in touch with modern witchcraft and you can use these cards and you can figure things out easily or you can take 30 minutes and just stare at the cards and see all these other pathways that maybe you missed the first time so anything tempest does is great but her oracle deck was certainly worth the wait it's terrific. So we're gonna. It is, and you know, I I,
0: I like how she uh, has a whole brand there, right? Like, if you like her art, you can get T-shirts from her. You can get flags outside your house from her. So it's it's just great to see her art, you know, from the deck all the way on through.
1: In twenty years, we're gonna be in New York City, and we're gonna go to this gallery opening, and it's gonna be this huge event, and it's gonna have all of Tempest's art there. I'll be there. Yeah, I'll bring I'll be- the champagne. She likes Lambrusco, so we'll bring a bunch right. of that. Ugh. I
0: guess we'll do what she wants. It is her mm, show.
1: It'll be her show. <laughs> so because it's February, we want her to talk about books that deal with love and lust and romance. It's all exciting and new. So uh, we're, this is going to be a quick segment. I'm going to talk about one of my picks first, and my picks are really, really lusty. My first pick is The Great Work of the Flesh, Sexual Magic East and West by Serene Alexandrian. What a great name. Translated by Joe Graham, J-O-E, not Joe Graham, the writer without the E, who is also awesome. So what is this book about? Sex magic is this thing that people do but it's usually clouded in mystery and its history isn't particularly well known. So this book kind of goes over that and it talks about the major players and it gives you some introduction into their work. If you're curious about Pascal Beverly Randolph, who's one of my favorite American occultists, you can get a really good introduction to him in this book. There is a bit about Wicca in this book and I will say that's not very good, but the rest of it's fine. And yeah, lusty for February. What about you, Meg?
0: All right. So my first pick is uh, A Kitchen Witch's Guide to Recipes for Love and Romance by Dawn Hunt. Um, and her handle on Instagram is Kachina Aurora. And I just love Dawn's uh, book. It's a great Kitchen Witch book. It, it, you know, all the pictures that you want from a Kitchen Witch book, all the, the breakdown of why the ingredients are magical to why how we cook the ingredients are magical. Um, and she's someone who's the master of her craft. She loves making magic with food and she's someone who writes with intention to share. She wants people to use her her book. So it, it's such a warm book um, that if you're looking to make some kitchen magic, definitely pick up Kitchen Witch's Guide to Recipes for Love and Romance.
1: My second book is more lusty again. I thought about... <laughs> Recommending Love Magic by Lilith Dorsey, and I do recommend Love Magic by Lilith Dorsey if you're looking for that kind of thing. <laughs> but I you don't know, I've been married for 40 years. <laughs> Not really, but sometimes it feels that way. So it feels unnecessary. So I chose Pan the Great God's Modern Return by Paul Robichaud. Why Pan for lustiness? Well, Pan's pretty lusty right? If you need to reignite the fires of passion in your relationship, you can't go wrong with the goat-footed god. This is a really great overview of Pan in the ancient world into the modern. Pan is a Greek god like no other in that he was worshipped 2,500 years ago, but had this really great renaissance in the 19th century, and then later, starting in the 50s, into modern occult practice through the horned god. So if you're interested in any of that, this is really really readable and it summarizes a lot of longer and harder to read works and your, your last yeah what's your, your last book
0: sorry i sorry it froze all right hold on we'll give a few minutes all right so my uh second love spell book is um, love Spells by Michael Herkes, Love Spells for the Modern Witch. And I love this book because um, I we get asked all the time for love spells. That is like the number one request beyond like, am I a witch? Um, that we get as Witch With Me and Witch With Books. Um, and I get it, you know, a broken heart is rough or not, you know, Someone not loving you back is, is tough. So I get why that's one of the first things that people re- reach for um with love spells. And I think Michael has done a great job of presenting a balanced love spell book. Like, yeah, sure. There's a spell in there to get somebody back, but there's spells that are about, you know, things like banishing toxic relationships and that kind of stuff that it, it shows a wide range of the different types of love issues we encounter from finding love, healing a broken heart, developing self-love, it's all in there. So pick it up.
1: So now it brings us to our featured selections. These are our picks for February. Most of these came out in February or at the latest sometime in January. My first pick is Loki and Singin' by Leah Svensson. I was really excited when I saw this book was coming out. I have a Loki thing, and that can be problematic for some people. And there's never really been a book dedicated to Loki before. I've read a lot of books about Norse and Viking history, and when they talk about Norse gods, Loki gets two sentences maybe. And a lot of that's because we don't know a lot about him. But Leah takes what we do know and lays it out, going over his mythology, the meaning or possible meanings of his name, and shares basically what people know about Loki and, of course, his wife Sigyn. So it's really great if you're a Loki person. Because there's not a ton of stuff about Loki, the second half of the book kind of devolves into an overview of Norse tradition and how to practice as a Norse pagan, which isn't the worst thing because a lot of people aren't exposed to that. There's a really interesting portion of the book where she talks about Loki being banned from being called in her local Norse groups and how that band was eventually uh, gotten rid of. Either you'll love that chapter or you'll be like rolling your eyes. I thought it was fascinating because you don't have arguments about other deities like you do about Loki. So if you're a Loki person, if you're interested in Norse mythology, you must go out immediately and buy this book.
0: That's awesome. Um, my pick is my first pick is the Modern Witchcraft Guide to Runes: Your Complete Guide to the Divination Power of Runes by Judy Ann Knock. So this is a series: the Modern Witchcraft Guides to X, Y, and Z, Tarot, Green Witchcraft, all that um, that's out through Adams Media. So if you're familiar with these books, you know they're beautiful. You know they're packed with information. You know that they're uh, well written and I picked this book um, because it is needed. It is hard to find a rune book that is introductory that I can recommend to people. And this is this is great. This book covers Norse runes, witch runes, ohm runes of the Celts. Then it talks about, you know, consulting with the runes, how to make magic with the runes, rune creation. So it's got its fingers and everything rune associated and it's going to fill a hole in our shelves for those people who are like, "Hey, I think I might be interested in runes, but I don't know where to start. Um, especially because we know the dangers that oftentimes runes can be associated with some like white supremacy type stuff going on. And we really want to avoid that at all costs. So this is, this is a great, uh, touchstone point for the the person first interested in runes to reach out to.
1: Um, I, I go got ahead. a copy of it too, and I haven't yes. read all of it, but I flipped through it pretty good. I had never read any of Knox's books before, and she's a really good writer. Everything's concise. Yeah. It makes sense. She One, is. Yeah. One of the nice things about this book, though, is the way it's laid out, if you're looking for like a specific piece of information, you can go and find it really quickly. So it's a really great resource in that way. Agree. Hmm. My next book is Welsh Witchcraft by Maris Starling. I've been really excited about this book since it was announced a few months ago. I follow Starling on social media, and she shared how people have shared bad reviews because she doesn't talk about Welsh witchcraft as a 2,000-year-old secret tradition. Why doesn't she do that? Because there isn't a secret 2,000-year-old tradition. But what there is, is witchcraft practiced in Wales by people where it's rooted in the geography, the topography, the mythology of Wales. And that's what this book is a lot about. If you are curious about Wales, if you're Welsh... Or you just think that Christopher Hughes is the bee's knees and you want to get closer to kind of things that he does. This is the book that you read. You know, I think we often assume that if we read a book and it says like Italian witchcraft or Scottish witchcraft, it's going to be talking about this thousands of year old tradition or hundreds of year old tradition. And I don't think witchcraft works like that. Certainly there's old magic in Wales and it's in this book certainly there's old magic everywhere and it comes through the pages but this is a modern practitioner in Wales sharing what they do and it's really freaking good
0: and i'm hoping that we can get mara on the sh- the show too to interview her she already said yes we just got to set up a time
1: so oh yeah for sure we'll be looking
0: forward to that as well because she like you said she's um awesome on social media, right? Like she's the type of person you want to sit down and chat with. So so if you're not following her, definitely do. Um, and my pick is switching from ancient to now now, we have the debut book put out through Row House Publishing, The Altar Within a Radical Devotional Guide to Liberate the Divine Self by Juliet Diaz. So you probably have heard of Juliet's other works, Witchery, Plant Witchery. She has two Oracle decks with Lorraine Anderson, um, and this is her long-hyped latest offering. And like I said, it's through Row House, which is a new publishing house launched in uh, 2020. And all of us in the witch book world have had our eyes on it. Um, They're doing, you know, something really cool and really different. And um, I'll read this bit from their website. Uh, Row House's mission is to create an equitable publishing model that represents the values and diversity of authors and the audience we embrace. So they offer uh, things like large advances, social media coaching as a way to support they're otherwise disenfranchised authors. And so this strong first offering is exactly that. And it is a great choice for them to put out this book first, because as expected, you know, it's deeply personal and devotional. Juliet doesn't do anything without her whole heart and whole soul in it. And um, anyone who follows Juliet's work knows how much questioning and soul searching goes into her journey. So we see so much, of her process in her writing, um, and that makes her just a force for personal power, and this this shines through in this book in particularly. And she she nakedly explains that this book is a product of a near death experience, it called her home to her her own divinity, and it, and it calls out you know, problematic tropes in the self help world, you know, toxic pos- positivity, spiritual bypassing. It's a cry for liberation. Um, and, you know, I, I had the pleasure of speaking with Juliet just this morning about this uh, book. If you want to hop on over to our Witch with Books Instagram page, you can see that congratulatory interview we did with her there. And she's coming on this podcast to talk with us about this groundbreaking book next month. So um, all I have to say is I, I, I've been reading through the book and every so often I just pause to go, yes, witch, yes, like nodding my head along to it. So. Um, dive in now and in a few weeks we'll be able to to circle back with Juliet and we can see what you guys think.
1: When I read it I was surprised by how she kept saying things like you know you have you may have doubt right and not everything is perfect and most witch books are like you can solve all your problems doing this stuff and i I just felt like I was in the middle of this nice warm hug that someone is expressing to me that as a witch I can have issues and troubles. And then she's kind of explaining ways to get over them, but it just felt more like relevant to my life. Maybe it's the two years of COVID and all that, you know, so I'm especially depressed, but I I loved that feeling. No,
0: it's true. And this is, I I make no secret. I'm a big fan of Juliet, right? Like she's headlined our Gather the Witches events. I think she's a a great thinker and a doer. Um, But, you know, that's, that's Juliet's thing. Like she's ready to teach you to fish, not hand you the fish. Right. And, and that's, that's not always uh, an easy thing to find in our community.
1: You know, I don't think this book was written for me, but I think I came across it when I needed it. So, yeah, this isn't my pick, but it's also one of my picks, if that's okay. And it's beautiful, too hardcover laid out really well some really nice illustrations
0: i know it's modern it has uh qr code access to supplemental free materials um you know when we say juliet's committed to healing and supporting people she's not kidding around she's got videos she's got workbooks she's got all this stuff to support her work so pick it up you won't you won't regret it
1: her writing's really good too like yeah. certain writers write books sure. and there's information, but it's maybe not presented in the best way. This in- narrative is engaging. It like completely draws you in. I'm sorry. I'm taking over your pick.
0: No, it's great because, <laughs> you know, she gets to, it, it's it's always great to see people use their gifts for such stellar purposes. Right. It's like a message in a book like this. So it's it's to be lauded for sure. All right. So on that note, uh, juliet is certainly a big social media star she's got like you know a hundred thousand followers or something but let's talk about some other uh authors who we feel are worthy of a social media follow who is your first pick jason
1: you know speaking of things that make me feel good and i feel like this is his podcast this month but this is michael herkis the glam witch it, he posts pictures of himself as the glam witch and when i see them i smile it just makes me feel good to come across his content it's positive it's happy it's showing a magical side of things that you can access through dressing up and i think people often overlook how simple that can be as a magical act so i love michael and he's my pick this month
0: and he keeps saying he's gonna launch a clothing line. So get on that, <gasps> Michael. Here's your call out because we'll be following. He should we'll talk be watching. To me. There's some captains that need to be made, yeah. you know? All right. My pick is Lisa Marie Basilli. I love following her on social media. She she actually runs her own literary magazine, Luna Luna Magazine, too. So that's a great follow. So she has, you know, a lot of things going on. She's a poet. She's She has a bunch of different books, both magical and non-magical, um, you know. But I love following her on social media because I feel like every single time you read a post by her, you're getting the real Lisa. It's not performative. It's not her... Um, it, she's addressing what's going on in her mind at that moment. It's always deep. It's always beautifully written. It's always emotionally provoking. Um, and I, and I love that she switches it up. Sometimes she'll put a selfie out there, but sometimes she'll put a place she visited. Um, and it's just, it's just one of the most authentic social media accounts out there. So Lisa Marie Silly, um, her books, you know, by her magical writing, grimoire, um, You know, you definitely want to um, follow her for real witch life.
1: When I see her on social media, I feel like I'm looking at something that's intelligent and sophisticated, really different from me, who is not sophisticated (laughs) at all. Like I've been allowed into the secret world that I'm usually not allowed to access. So I'm a big fan, too.
0: Yeah, for sure. She's got she's got something regal about her. I believe she's a Scorpio too. So that's where those those still waters run deep. All right. So coming up, we're almost finished with the show. Thank you so much for sticking with us through our episode. Uh, We're about ready to wrap up. We just have books on the horizon that we're excited about to jazz you up for next time. And I swear there is no nepotism in this. Um, You know, it is what it is. But I am most looking forward to The Witch's Book of Spellcraft by Jason Mankey and his cohort of, uh, authors including your wife, Ari. Um, and I, I I think this is a book that I'm going to recommend all the time. So I'm really looking forward to it coming out so I can start doing that. Um, you know, this book is, um, going to be about, sure, spellcrafting, but it's not just a as you can hear from Jason's commentary today, a do this, do that, because that's how I said it should be. And that's why I'm the, the witch person writing this book. That is not the case with this book. What we're looking at is um, an integration of items used in witchcraft and why we choose those items. And why do we choose some items at certain times and not others? And more importantly, how does this spell crafting work, right? Like, I can hand you a spell to do, but understanding the how of it starts to give you more intention. So I'm really looking forward to, to seeing, uh, what you break down, Jason, you know, I think you're a great teacher, so I'm sure that you've done it again. Um, you know, I, I think everyone's what is it? March 8th,
1: March 8th. Yeah. It's March 8th. Out. Okay.
0: So the countdown really is on. It's very soon.
1: I wrote all that copy for Meg. No, I didn't. Maybe I did. <laughs> My pick is not going to be out until August of 20. August of, yeah, is it 2022? Jeez, I feel so old. Till August of 2022, but it's Navigating the Witch's Compass by Ian Chambers. It's a traditional witch book. The Witch's Compass is kind of equivalent to casting a circle, and I love Ian. He has such a different perspective on witchcraft. I love traditional witch books, and I'm just so excited that he's going to have a book published through Llewellyn. He's a really terrific person, and I'm so. Yeah, I'm just excited. Something to look forward to near the end of summer. And that about wraps things up for February. As we mentioned before, we have a special author spotlight episode in the works with Juliet Diaz and a mini episode featuring our favorite Ostara books or book not a lot of people write about it. And next star
0: adjacent uh, books, yes, de- <laughs> absolutely.
1: In next month's regular edition of the podcast, we will be sharing our favorite witch history books, talking about the latest new releases, including, of course, Jason Mankey's amazing and stupendous "The Witch's Book of Spellcraft," rocketing up the charts. Is that okay, Meg? Can I plug oh, myself that much? Feels
0: a little much, Mankey. Don't make me start looking for a new co-house. <laughs> What's your hashtag All right, everybody. For this? All right, witches. Thank you for hanging with us. Until next month, I'm Meg Rosenbrier.
1: And I'm Jason Mankey. I'm a little full of myself. Thanks for listening. Keep reading and keep practicing your magic.